if you're pushing a boulder up the mountain, say like treatment acceptance is that boulder. We want the hygienist to push the boulder up the mountain as much as possible because they're with the patient the most. They're building rapport, they're educating, they're, they're showing. Um, and then the doctor comes in and it's, it's almost a formality because the hygienist has already said, hey, the doctor may say this, they may say that, hopefully it's this. We'll see what the doctor says. The doctor comes in, rubber stamps it. And then it's more of a confirmation of what was suspected um, versus, wow, that doctor came in and hit me with a ton of bricks. This is Growth in Dentistry, a dental intelligence podcast where we ask the question, what does growth in dentistry look like to you? I'm Katie Polson, a dental hygienist and your host. Welcome to another episode of Growth in Dentistry. I'm Katie Polson, and I am delighted to have Dr. Alex Sharp and Tommy Timpton. Uh, Alex Sharp is from Shared Practices, and I am just so excited to have a hygienist and a dentist on the podcast today. I already told them that. I, it's just, it delights me. But before we get into the topic today, I want to, again, remind all of you to uh, join our Facebook dental intelligence community, join like-minded data nerds, come, come learn from one another and rate and review this podcast. Uh, I read every one of them. So thank you very much. Thank you for all of our listeners. And we are, we, again, we are in for a real treat today. We are continuing our conversation on getting patients to say yes and case acceptance. And we have a really unique viewpoint on really what the team can do to increase case acceptance. I've said it before, but really case acceptance starts before the doctor or before the patient even sits in the chair and continues all the way through to when they actually complete the treatment. And the team has a huge impact on, on that case acceptance. So we're going to talk about that today. So before we get started, Dr. Sharp, I'll have you introduce yourself first, and then we'll have Tommy, you introduce yourself next. Tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Thank you, Katie. Yeah. My name is Alex. I'm the president of Shared Practices, and we our, our big focus is coaching and helping people improve their practices and their lives, honestly, via analytics. So uh, this is a great opportunity for us to, to talk about what we're so passionate about, which is you know, leveraging knowledge of dental intel to be able to affect change in, in a demonstrable and predictable way. Because what we find with dentists is there's a lot of hesitation sometimes to engage in anything that might be viewed as risky or change-oriented. But we find that when you have the metrics to back up uh, what you're looking to do, uh, that takes away some of the trepidation of, of, of making what can seem like uh, you know, big leaps into the unknown. But when you have case studies of people doing things that are growth-oriented that, that allow for, for predictable growth and improvement in your practice. That's what we're passionate about. And that's what we do, you know, every day for our clients. So thank you for having us. Really great. Awesome. And Tommy, tell us a little bit about you. Good. Uh, so my name's Tommy. I, I get a, I get to work with Alex every day. He's, he is a wealth of knowledge and a fantastic dentist. And uh, there's something I learned from him every day. Uh, but uh, my role was shared practices is I'm the hygiene coach um, we, we basically, uh, look at practices based on their, uh, analytics and see, you know, where the opportunities in every practice is a dental hygiene program. And, uh, we try to uh, incorporate not only the hygienist, but the dentist as well into, uh, building their hygiene uh, team, because it's, it's certainly a, a team sport, uh, when it comes to getting patients to say yes. Yeah, really great. Well, we really couldn't have a better duo, I think, to talk about this topic. So, uh, to get started, I guess, tell us a little bit about, and 
whoever wants to chime in, chime in, whatever, um, about this idea of hygiene-led case acceptance and what does that look like in practice? Yeah, that's, that's something that I don't want to say we've innovated, but I think we've improved upon the concept uh, pretty markedly in our office as a test kitchen. Uh, so Tommy and I co-teach a portion of one of our seminars called analytics-based case acceptance. And the, the crux of our section is indeed, you know, hygiene-led uh, case acceptance. And so part of our process is we, first of all, place a humongous emphasis on training the hygienists gasp, you know, right? Like a lot of dentists are reticent to actually stop the clinical wheel from spinning for a minute to be able to invest in the hygiene team to train them not only on uh, the different elements of, of, of their own practice of, of doing preventative care and treating the gums, uh, but also we focus a ton on setting the doctor up for success in terms of case acceptance. And step one is education because we, we hear time and time again, not only from the hygienists in our practice, but also in the hygienists of the practices with whom uh, we coach, that they just didn't learn a lot of the nitty gritty of restorative dentistry, surgical techniques, uh, what constitutes doing an implant here versus a root canal retreat. Like a lot of those little nuanced things that vary from practice to practice. A lot of hygienists just don't have the confidence in, even if they've been working with a dentist for multiple years, they just don't know. They just go with what the dentist says. And so what we liken it to, if you're pushing a boulder up the mountain, say like treatment acceptance is that boulder. We want the hygienist to push the boulder up the mountain as much as possible because they're with the patient the most. They're building rapport, they're educating, they're, they're showing. Um, and then the doctor comes in and it's, it's almost a formality because the hygienist has already said, hey, the doctor may say this, they may say that, hopefully it's this. We'll see what the doctor says. The doctor comes in, rubber stamps it. And then it's more of a confirmation of what was suspected um, versus wow, that doctor came in and hit me with a ton of bricks. I wasn't expecting that. The, the hygienist didn't say anything about the cracked amalgam or, or anything like that. So the more we can leverage the, the skill set and, and the, um, the training of our hygienists, the more fulfillment they get out, they get out of their jobs. And then it's also easier as the dentist to come in and knock it out of the park because you've already been teed up for success. I love that. This is a huge like passion part project of mine. I love this idea of using your hygienist. I talk about it all the time as like the hygienist is the resident educator in the practice. Um, it's way beyond just scaling teeth. And if that's the, if that's the way that I, maybe you're treating your hygienist or the way that as a hygienist, you're treating your job, then you're really missing out an opportunity to expand your knowledge and your education. Um, Tommy, before we get into your side of like your idea of of how this works and, and, um, and some of the benefits that you have seen, tell me a little bit about like, so how do you get to that point? I guess, because I think a lot of hygienists, they may not know, but there is different diagnosing philosophies for every dentist. Um, and I think in, in, in what I recommend to hygienists and what I've seen in my own practice is that, uh, it's really important to get on the same page, uh, of what, you know, when would it, when, when would they recommend an onlay or when would they recommend doing just an, M an MOD or whatever? So talk a little bit about how you kind of facilitate that first, because I think that could help a lot of people. 
Absolutely. Uh, you know, so Katie, one of the best things that you can do is, you know, Dr. Sharp had alluded to this, uh, stopping that clinical will for a minute, um, but just lunch and learns with your doctors. Um, you know, if you're in a practice where there's one doctor, it's going to be a lot easier to kind of know what that doctor wants. But when you're in a practice with multiple doctors, um, it's really good to have everybody together for those calibration sessions. So what we do in our office is, you know, once a month or so, we'll, we'll gather a, a, a series of patients with some x-rays that has some good meaty, meaty stuff to it, you know, and uh, we'll all get together and, and we've got these sheets that we use in our office that help us identify, you know, what's urgent, what are we going to monitor? And we're going to write it down as we see it as like we were the clinician. And then the doctors, we'll go through it with the doctors as, you know, this is what we see. And they'll, they'll kind of, you know, tell us from their, their diagnosing perspective, what they would recommend treatment on and what they would say, let's continue to monitor this and why. And so it just gives us a better idea, kind of a peek inside of their, their diagnosing philosophy as to, you know, why are they going to make certain choices? And, you know, and the real key is as, as we're educating our patients, um, we, we want to paint things with a broad, broad brush, if you will, um, never really yeah. backing the doctor into a corner. I think that's super important. Uh, because we're not diagnosing, we're educating, you know, we, we see the areas of concern. And so we're going to, we're going to show them enteral images. We're going to show them x-rays. Um, we're going to talk to them about, you know, whatever the case may be and, and just kind of prepare them for what they may hear. And like Dr. Sharp said, it's, it, it, it sort of takes that. I, I got hit with a ton of bricks, you know? Um, so if the patient is thinking they're going to hear, they may need multiple fillings, then they're already kind of open to hearing that by the time he gets in. Yeah. It also makes it, I think people need, all people need to hear something more than once to learn. Right. And so if they hear it from you and then they hear it from the dentist and they hear it from the treatment coordinator, then like by the time they get to the treatment coordinator, they really understand what needs to happen. So Mm -hmm. I, I, I love that. Tell me a little bit about the language that you use, because you have to be very careful about when you are educating, um, I mean, I know what I would use, but how, how do you present this? I guess. So if you've got a crown, if you know, the patient needs a crown. Sure. Yeah. yeah. How do you, how do you use, how do you, what's your language? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll be taking the x-rays for the patient and then we, we do a process where we actually kind of show them the x-rays and we break down the different layers of the tooth in a very lay term, letting them know the outside layers enamel. And as we go in, it's softer and et cetera, et cetera. And so when we see a tooth that has a large area of decay, uh, what I may, you know, tell the patient is that, you know, we can see quite a bit that this tooth has damage to it, you know, whether or not a filling could be placed in this tooth is sort of questionable as large as this is. In some cases, I've seen Dr. Sharp recommend a crown on this tooth to fully protect the tooth. So when he gets in today, we'll, we'll, have him take a look and see which way would be best to take care of this tooth. That's like almost verbatim, what I say to my patients. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So try to keep it very simple. Uh, You don't have to explain too much. You don't have to go into a lot of depth or detail. Uh, Use lay terms as, as much as possible. Um, And, and like I said, I'm a big fan of visual. So I want them to see, you know, what we see on the x-ray because they can, they can start to, you know, I'm using air quotes here, self-diagnose, when they see what we see. So they're, they're understanding more of like, you know, why this needs the treatment that the doctor is about to recommend. Yeah. I think we skim over not, not on purpose, but we skim to the treatment so quickly. It's because that's the way our diagnosis, like we don't have diagnosing codes. We just use treatment codes. Right. And so we're so focused on the treatment that we forget to be like, like, okay, this is, this is this huge hole in your tooth. Right. 
Um, and this is why we need to fix it. So I love, I love that. So give me your perspective, I guess, on this hygiene case led case acceptance. Like how does it help you? I don't know. I would imagine, I feel, I feel very fulfilled, but tell me, tell me how you feel. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you, Katie. I, you know, I, I think, you know, hygienists, we're, you know, we're, we're educated people as well. And, and, and like you'd mentioned earlier, if all we had to look forward to is getting up and scraping teeth, that would get Ugh. really old, really fast. And, you know, as we all know, there's, there's definitely more to it than that. But if you're not utilizing your hygienist to help you drive up case acceptance, you're really missing out. Uh, there's such an opportunity there for us to be, uh, you know, as you said, the, uh, the resident educators uh, for the for the patients in the office, uh, we you know we have so much time that we're allowed with each patient as compared to you know the time the dentist is allowed. So we do have that time to educate, and and so once we you know once we get into the you know the past the the subtleties and pleasantries of the initial part of the visit, we need to get busy educating and get busy identifying and and all of those things and really make it a very focused time with our patient, whether that's forty minutes, fifty minutes, or an hour, whatever you get. Um, you, you want to use that time in a very focused way and, and just, um, you know, my, my approach is uh, observational education. So as I'm, you know, cleaning along after anything that we've already talked about on x-ray or intraoral images, as I'm cleaning along, I'm, I'm just making note of, you know, well, here's an area where, oh, you feel the floss catching, that's calculus or tartar. We'll talk about what that is, how it occurs, you know, and so on. Just as we go through, if we see abrasion, if we see, you know, bruxism, wear and tear, um, you know, any, any of those things, then I'll just kind of subtly talk to them about it and, you know, just inform them of what we see. And that gives the patient an opportunity to understand that there's definitely more to their visit than just a cleaning Additionally, they can understand that, man, I may have some stuff going on here I do need to take care of, and they'll start to ask questions. Once they ask questions, they're, they're leading themselves to the treatment that they need. Yeah, I love that idea of observational education, because it, I think a lot of people get hung up on the fact that, well, I'm doing all of these things, and now you want to me to, to, like, to do your job and educate on, on diagnosing, right? But it doesn't need to happen at the end of the treatment. It doesn't need to be when they're sitting up, just staring at you. It doesn't need to be this, like, uh, oh gosh, I don't, I, you don't want them to feel like they're being reprimanded. Do you know what I mean? But again, oh, I, not, I love, yeah. I love that idea of being like, Oh, like, Oh, did you feel that? That that's what that feels like when you have calculus, right? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So good. And very, very helpful. So, um, Dr. Sharp, what if a practice wants to kind of like change their mindset and start in this process, what do you recommend? Well, it, it starts with the dentist, number one, because you, you can, you know, dentists are notoriously, um, shall we, how can I put this delicately? <laughs> they, they want their teams to change without them changing at all. And, and we've, we've seen that in countless practices where the dentists don't prove themselves what I would call mind ready to make any kind of adjustments. They want everyone else to change, but they want to dig their heels in and do, do things the way they've always done them. And so, you know, if you want different outputs, you have to have different inputs, you know, to put it in like the, the dental Intel parlance where you, in order to, to interpret the data differently and see different results, what, what the data siphons off of has to change on the front end. So what does that look like for the dentist? That means uh, relinquishing some of the reins on the appointment. That means something tangible that I think people could take home like right now is look and see when you're doing your exams 
in that hour. Look and see, am I only coming in in the last 15 minutes of the appointment to do my exam? Or am I emboldening my hygienists to ask for me to come in sooner? Can I pop in 20 minutes into it? If it's a simple profi where the patient's never had a cavity and never had an abfraction and, and never had an issue and never had a, a bleeding score above zero, then yeah, it's going to be, you can come in, do your thing, chat up the patient and be efficient and not make the hygienist wait until 15 minutes till the next hour to do the exam. Broaden that window where, where they're able to, to get your attention. In our office, it's a little bit analog. It's not super... Um, you know, tech savvy, but we have papers that go in the basket outside of the, the treatment room to signify, hey, the data has been gathered, the intraoral photos have been taken, all necessary x-rays have been completed, and notes have been written on the sheet of paper so that the dentist can come by, grab the piece of paper, and have a really great idea of what to talk about in that appointment so that if things are going crazy and the, the doctor doesn't have a chance to go back to his or her computer to go through the x-rays, a summary has been written out by the hygienist so that the doctor can be prepared to come into the room, greet the patient, go through the findings, look at the x-rays on the screen, and, and still deliver a really solid um, experience for the patient. So my take-home message for everybody is do what you can to make it easier for the hygienist to have a larger window for the exams to be completed so that the schedule can run more smoothly. Yes, ah, that is such a good and uh, such a good piece of advice. And I, and I've seen it, I've seen it with the paper, which I mean, just do what works for your practice. And I've also seen it where they have an ops tool like live ops, Medentil's live ops, where they move the patient through the process where they check the patient in. Right. And then they have, and then there's just a blinking light that says, Hey, we're ready for an exam whenever you are. Right. And so there's, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but, uh, but just making sure that there's that window. I love that. That's such a great piece of advice because really the exam doesn't need to be done in the last 10 minutes of the, no, it, it, every time. it doesn't. It does and sometimes, not. and, and also go, maybe what, it, maybe you could speak to this of like coming together and deciding when an exam doesn't need to be done. Right. Like, yeah, yeah you, in, in, everything needs to be done with as much consensus as you can gather. And, and as a rule, the less top-down, like hierarchical, authoritarian decisions that are made by the dentist, the better. The more team-driven, um, democratically uh, arrived at decisions, the, the practice tends to do better when the decisions are made jointly rather than like, hey, as of Monday, we're doing it this way. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get buy-in or acceptance that way. And, and it's, it's similar to what Tommy was saying about the, the, the education of the patients. The more that the patient participates in the process, the more they're going to be bought into the treatment recommendations. And it's the same with your team. The more the team has a say-so and what's happening, the, the more likely you're going to get adherence to those processes and you're going to, you're going to have people smiling at you while they're doing their, their processes. So for example, we, roughly we say 20 minutes for data gathering at the beginning, you know, photos, x-rays, start the cleaning, 20 minutes for, you know, the cleaning itself, and then 20 minutes at the end for, you know, discussing treatment, going through with the treatment coordinator to get um, next, next visit scheduled, talking about finances. So really, you can be a pretty darn efficient hygienist when you think of it in those 20 minute chunks. Uh, and then if, the, if it's a really hairy profi, then it bleeds over into the, the final 20 minutes. But, you know, you, you can be efficient with your time if there's a system and if there's buy-in to that system. Because Tommy mentioned, we have 
you know, monthly meetings with all of our dentists and all of our hygienists to go through cases. You definitely want to do that, even if you're just a one doctor practice. If you've never done that as a one doctor practice, you're, you're leaving meat on the bone as far as what's possible uh, case acceptance wise. And it's all but completely 100% necessary to do it with multiple providers because everyone's treatment philosophy is different. Mm-hmm. So the more exposure your hygienists have to the, the rationale behind why each type of treatment is recommended, the more they can get in your brain, the more they can speak your language. Yeah. That's another great one is calibration. Like mm-hmm. Tommy used that word calibration. I taught dental hygiene for a, a, a long while. And every year we had calibration meetings as teachers. Right. And that needs, that's a philosophy that, um, I guess I've never tell you use that word. It never clicked to me that that's really what it is, but that's exactly what it is. It's calibrating together. Right. So great. Awesome. Um, what metrics, I guess, do you guys look at to talk, to look at your case acceptance or to see that it's working? So there's different layers to this in our practice. Like in our practice, we have a whiteboard in our meeting room where we share with the team pertinent metrics from each department. We show a few front office metrics, a few hygiene associated metrics, and then a few uh, doctor like restorative metrics. And so when we're talking about case acceptance, we try to boil it down for the team in the simplest terms. And our, you know, gold standard is patient acceptance, because what I tell our team about patient acceptance across the board is that it's a measurement of not only how great did the doctor do at getting that treatment accepted, but it's also a measure loosely of how well was the phone answered? How well was the person greeted when they walked through the door? How great was their experience getting the cleaning? All of those things stack up and it's like a domino effect because if if one of those things is off, if one link in the chain is rusty, then it's going to break. And so sometimes you have to do some sleuthing and some detective work to figure out where is that weak link in the chain. But if you start seeing that patient acceptance dip, then that's a really good barometer for, okay, something's going on here. Let's investigate. What is it? Um, But that's, that's a good quick and dirty metric just for how many people are saying yes. Uh, we also look as doctors at you know treatment acceptance. That's that's less to me. That can be helpful for the hygienist to know as well. But doctors need to know that because if that treatment acceptance is too high, in my opinion, it means that maybe we're not diagnosing thoroughly enough. If we're getting mm-hmm. so many yeses that our treatment acceptance is nearing like 65, 70% then maybe we're not being thorough enough. Maybe we're just doing like the the decay and we're not looking holistically comprehensively at the whole mouth. Mm -hmm. So those are two that we focus on quite a bit. In addition to the nitty gritty of looking at production per hour, production per visit uh, of the doctors, because that is related to that's downstream of the, the treatment acceptance that happens in the hygiene room. Yeah. I love that. I don't think I've ever correlated patient treatment acceptance percentage to, uh, and, and the level that it is in relation to diagnosing percentage. That's mm-hmm. really great. That's a good piece of advice. Yeah. That, that's what we find with our clients is that some of our clients come in thinking like they're swaggering in into the zoom call. Like, yeah, my treatment acceptance yeah. is like 75%. I'm like, okay, well, let's look at the dollar value that you presented. Let's mm-hmm. look at the total number of patients that you've seen to arrive at that dollar value. Let's look and see, okay, what if you added Invisalign? What if you added implants? What if you added even just extractions and bone grafts? What if you added endo? These are things that, you know, 
per patient interaction can drastically increase the amount that you're diagnosing per patient. And then you get that treatment acceptance. Sometimes your number, your percentage, your raw percentage is going to go down as you have more at bats because it's relative to the dollar value. But over time, you'll get a little more confident in, in diagnosing and presenting those services. And then your percentage may go down, but your overall amount diagnosed may go up. And you know, this is why we love dental intel because you know, we can, we can work with our clients and, and really pinpoint, okay, which knobs do we need to turn to get you where you want to go? Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really awesome. And I love that you brought up patient acceptance percentage because really I, I've, I've called that like trust your practice acceptance because <laughs> that's really yeah. what it is. It's, exactly. It's your ability to tell if your patients trust them, trust you, trust the practice, trust you to do any portion of the work. So that's really great. No, that's phenomenal because it is, it is really the holistic sum total of everything. Cause they're not going to say yes to anything. If there's something amiss or if they yeah. pick up on a weird vibe or, you know, the, the culture of the practice matters. And that's sort of my shtick, like within shared practices, I work with doctors on how to improve your workplace culture with your teams. And it starts with how you interact with your team. It starts with training them. It starts with saying, thank you. <gasps> how dare I say thank you to my team and, and referring to them as team, not staff. That's a little, that's a little thing that, you know, you've probably heard other, you know, podcasters Mm -hmm. and talking heads out there refer to as, you know, staff as an infection, not a group of people. People like to, people like to let that be uh, (laughs) a, a I don't know. They let, they really love to tout that. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. a good one. For for sure. Yeah. Well, um, we asked the same question to everybody on the podcast. And that is what does growth and dentistry mean to you? And, um, Tommy, we haven't heard you talk for a minute, so, so we'll start with you. So, so growth and dentistry to me means, um, it's kind of like what we've been talking about here. Those, those patients who love to say yes, who love to come back. Um, they, they trust your office. They enjoy being there. They leave the positive Google reviews. Uh, they're, you know, creating that raving fan. That's, that's what we do. So, when we talk about, you know, what does growth in dentistry mean? Uh, to me, it just means seeing those patients who would otherwise never want to come to the dentist show up every time that they're scheduled. That's growth in dentistry. Awesome. That's great. What a good answer. You go ahead, Dr. Sharp. That's a better answer than what I could have come up with, Tom. Thanks for stealing my thunder. No, um, for me, growth in dentistry means furthering, furthering you, the clinician, you, the provider, be, be it a dentist or a hygienist furthering you along towards your goals. Because what, what we talk about at Shared Practices is anything you want in life, nothing off the table, whether that's your work-life balance, whether that's a certain size of practice or a number of practices or a number of clinical days per week, have the audacity to set your goals and then figure out the path to achieve them. And, and we're passionate about using metrics to that end of figuring out, okay, if this is the end point, first, you got to know your end point. You got to know your vision. What are you shooting for? What are you building towards? Why are you going to work every day? Once you establish that, then it's our job to help you get there. And so growth in dentistry to me means having more people loving what they do and, and not dreading coming to work, not dreading quote unquote, dealing with the people that they work with, just creating a more harmonious existence for yourself. To me, that's growth. Yeah. Really great. Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure for me. Uh, This has been Growth in Dentistry, a dental intelligence podcast. Again, special thanks to Dr. Alex Sharp and Tommy Tipton. 
Dr. Sharp, where can they find you guys if you, if, if I guess shared practices, if they want to know more? For sure. Yeah. We're, we're on all major podcast apps, shared practices, podcast, uh, sharedpractices.com has the latest schedule of all of our live events. We have several different offerings, whether you're a pre-owner looking to get into ownership or whether you're a seasoned practice owner looking to either improve your case acceptance or, you know, find a place to, to sharpen your office manager's um, leadership skills. We have, you know, four different course offerings. Uh, if you have specific questions, you can always email me, alex at sharedpractices.com. If you have any questions about anything, and I'm, I'd love to reach out if I can help in any way. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure that those, that information is on our website uh, or on our webs, on our show notes, and also on our webpage at dentalintel.com. Again, thank you for joining me, both of you. It's been a pleasure. And thank you to our marketing department uh, for all their work on this podcast. I'm Katie Poulsen. Keep growing.